HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following is a message from Heritage Foods USA. Thanksgiving turkeys in America used to be different. They came from a wide variety of breeds, they were healthy and raised outdoors on small family farms, their flavor? Exquisite. Continue this tradition with the same Heritage turkeys. Order yours now on www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call 718-389-0985. That's 718-389-0985. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Happy Monday afternoon and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host and producer is Sophie Schlesinger. Hello. And today we are going to be talking the state of cheese in North Dakota. Yes. And we have three North Dakota facts that have nothing to do with cheese, but are equally important. They're, they're as, actually, as they're, all things cheese. I think they're laws. Or laws. Are, are yeah. They, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that we that we ran across when yeah. we were doing research. All right. So number one, in Fargo, uh, North Dakota, one may be jailed for wearing a hat while dancing or even for wearing a hat to a function where dancing's taking place. So if you're going to the club, man, leave your hat at home. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Number two, (laughs) it's illegal to lie down and fall asleep with your shoes on. Man, I would have been arrested in the comfort of my own home many times (laughs) for that one. (laughs) Okay. And then uh, last but not least, it is illegal to serve beer and pretzels at the same time in any bar, club or restaurant, which is really unfortunate. That is just a bummer. It's the worst. As as we all know, beer and pretzels go so well together. And I guess pretzels do inspire a really intense amount of thirst. So maybe (laughs) they're just trying to protect their population. Yeah. Yeah. Safety first. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. But so seriously, for our State of Cheese in North Dakota episode, we're going to be talking to two wonderful guests. On the first segment of our show, we're going to be talking with Gary Hoffman, who's the executive director of North Dakota Dairy Coalition. And our second guest will be J.W. Schroeder, who's a dairy specialist for um, North Dakota State University in their extension service. Um, so, Gary, are you, uh, are you with us in the line? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for taking time out to be on the show. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, so can you start off by telling us a little bit about your job and what the state of dairy is like in North Dakota? Well, uh, I'm, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the uh, executive director of the North Dakota Dairy Coalition. It's an organization that was formed back in uh, 2004 to uh, focus on growing the dairy industry in North Dakota. We've, uh, we've been kind of declining in cow numbers and, and farm numbers. And, and uh, so a group of the industry folks got together and said, we need to try to turn this around and, and uh, do, make an honest effort at trying to keep a strong, viable dairy industry in our state. So that's uh, when the organization was formed and... Uh, and I came on board as a director, and our main objective is to increase the cow numbers in our state. And we do that with uh, basically a uh, two-prong approach, and one of them is working with our local dairy farmers and help them expand or upgrade facilities or, you know, make improvements in their uh, dairy operations so that sons and daughters are interested in coming back. And the uh, other uh, effort we do is uh, we attend some of the larger trade shows across the country and we try to recruit dairy farmers that are looking for a place to relocate. So we've had some success with that also. Now, um, was dairy ever um, a really big um, agricultural industry in North Dakota? Uh, yes, it is. Agriculture is the uh, largest uh, sector of our economy. Uh, in fact, uh, North Dakota is one of very few states. I'm, I'm not sure who else has money in the bank. Uh, we have a about a billion dollar surplus right now, and that's based on our strong ag economy and our energy economy. Wow, well done. Yeah, I yeah. think there are many states that can say that for themselves. Um, well, and let, let me let me also add: our last legislative session reduced our taxes, uh, uh, reduced real estate taxes, and uh, you know, so the last two legislative sessions, we've seen some tax relief where uh, they've actually reduced the uh, taxes. And and, uh, and that's one of the things we like to use when we're recruiting dairies to North Dakota because we have a very good uh, climate for, uh, for business and the tax structure for agriculture is outstanding. And so um, along with dairy, what are some of North Dakota's other large agricultural products? Well, we we rank uh, fairly high in in, in numerous uh, other commodities: uh, uh, wheat, sunflower, flax, and canola, and uh, and we we are really growing in corn and soybean production because of the the new uh, shorter uh, short day varieties. So we. Uh, uh, we also have uh, a huge beef industry in our state, so uh, we're, we we have probably more different commodities 
uh, other than uh, California, which really is into the fruits and nuts and, and livestock uh, agriculture. But uh, we've, we've got a wide variety of different products that are grown and, and uh, do well in North Dakota. And now, um, so is North Dakota a good place? Um, obviously, this is <laughs> it's your job to say yes. But why is North Dakota a good place to, to raise dairy cows? Is it, um, you know, you're, you're talking about um, taxes being lower, um, lots of available land. I know you'd mentioned. Um, uh, but uh, in terms of like, you know, the actual pasture or anything like that, are there any other added incentives for people to raise dairy cows in North Dakota? Well, we have... Uh you know, lots of byproducts for uh, for dairy rations, and uh, you know, so uh, what one of the uh, incentives. You know, we also have a Bank of North Dakota, and because of the uh, commodities that are processed in our state, we have lots of byproducts that are used in dairy rations, and we have some financial incentives. If you were to dairy in North Dakota and you use some of the byproducts from our uh, for instance, our pasta plants and things like that, uh, you, you'll get some uh, interest reduction programs. So that that's just one of them. We have wide open spaces, uh, uh, probably uh, under 700,000 people in our entire state. You know, so we've got wide open spaces, room to grow, and uh, and one of the lowest crime rates in the country, plus all the. Uh, uh, tax incentives for livestock production and uh, in, inexpensive land. Yet we're one of the few states that that you can still uh, buy some acreage and start a farm, and it's probably more feasible than in a lot of our areas of the country. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, what is the what is the average size of the dairy herd in uh, in North Dakota? Oh, we we range from uh, we we've still got quite a few uh, seventy five to a hundred cow dairies. Uh, if you look at a strict average, I think we're at about a hundred and thirty five cows per herd. Okay. And our, our large our largest herd in North Dakota is seventeen hundred cows, but uh, along with that, we have lots of herds that are in that two hundred, three hundred, and uh, like I said, some. In that seventy-five to a hundred cow range, also. Hmm. Wow. So, um, are you yourself a dairy farmer by background, or how did you get into this line of work? Uh, yes, I, I was born and raised on a dairy farm, and after uh, after college, I uh, went back and uh, or went back to the farm. I bought an uncle's farm, and uh, my wife and I and our family ran a 100-cow dairy for about 25 years. And then I was offered a job as head of the regulatory division for the North Dakota Department of Ag. And then when this position came along, they asked me to spearhead the dairy development program for the state. Wow, wow. so that's great. Somebody like you, it's like, you know, it's an ama- you're an amazing resource for anyone who wants to get into the business. Um, so I was wondering maybe if you can tell us a little bit about um, who the typical dairy farmer is in North Dakota. Are they, um, is it typically older farmers? Do you see any interest from um, young folks, you know, taking over farms or starting new farms? That's what I was going to ask too. And, and just kind of jumping on top of that, have you seen a, a resurgence in the number of uh, dairy farmers now that the coalition has, has started? 
Well, uh, first of all, let me say we have an, uh, a lot of older dairy producers in, in North Dakota. And, uh, you know, they, they haven't been real aggressive in trying to uh, keep their kids on the farm, you know. So we're, we're seeing quite a few farmers that are exiting the business and uh, the kids have gone off to college and gotten other jobs, and, and they aren't coming back to the farm. And, uh, you know, so we've, through our bank in North Dakota, there's some young farmer incentives, young farmer programs to try to accomplish that. But uh, the, what, one of the things we're seeing, the, the people that are sending their kids off to college and making those investments so they can come back and, and uh, bring sons and daughters into the operation. Some of those multifamily operations are, are probably the, the ones that will be here long term because, uh, you know, kids go off to college and they look at their peers that, are, uh, that have weekends free and they go golfing and hunting and fishing and things like that. So if you're just the... Uh, Tied to the farm all the time, those are the kids that'll uh, go get a job in town. If the uh, if the parents have made room for the kids to come back and and uh, invested in the operation, and and you have a multi-family operation where you can actually have some of the benefits that your that your peers have for a little time off once in a while, those are the kids that are coming back. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I yeah. feel like in all of our jobs, that's a constant struggle to find balance and do 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 the work, right. but then also you know take care of the other parts of you. Um, so uh, we had read actually, Sophie had found an article um, saying that uh, in 2010, the last uh, cheese plant in North Dakota actually shut down. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the cheese industry in North Dakota and, uh, and about that and, and whether you see any um, interest for people to do sort of any kind of value-added small-scale cheesemaking or, um, you know, even slightly larger-scale cheesemaking in the state. Well, uh, we, we got a lot of publicity on the last cheese plant in North Dakota shutting down some uh, I know I got a lot of calls from media saying, what are your dairy farmers going to do now? Well, it should have said it was the last independently owned cheese plant. Uh, we, we still have all of the uh, major co-ops operating in our state. We have Land O'Lakes, AMPI, and uh, DFA. And those plants aren't physically located in North Dakota, but there's two of them that are just four miles from the... North Dakota border that take in a lot of the North Dakota milk. So we still have cheese processing out here. Ah, so, okay. so the truth of the matter is we've got four different uh, processors in our state yet, but they're all uh, cooperative type processors. And, and the fact is that the one that closed was the last independently owned cheese plant. Well, I'm so, glad and, we could clear to, that up. <laughs> to follow up on the rest of your question, uh, we, we do have a, uh, a family that uh, milks about 100 cows, and they do their own processing on the farm. They, they do uh, what is uh, called Bessie's Best. They do uh, fluid milk, yogurt, and several types of cheese processed right on the farm. And, 
and uh, it's kind of kind of cool in the fact that they milk their cows in the morning, and by noon that milk is on the grocery store shelves. So it's fresher than anything else you can get. Wow, wow, that sounds like something yeah. worth taking a trip out to North Dakota to try. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, well they, they have a really good product. Well, unfortunately, we're, we're almost out of time for our first segment, but um, I do want our listeners to be able to get in touch with you and your organization um, if they have questions or, um, you know, want to, you know, know more about North, uh, North Dakota Dairy. Is there a website um, where people can find out more information about the Dairy Coalition? Uh, yes, there is. It's uh, nddairy.com. nddairy.com. And on, on our website, we have some sites that are available. We'll... Uh, you know, somebody wants to come out of here and look around, kick the tires, and see what opportunities there may be. Just feel free to give me a call. We, you know, I, I mentioned we've got had some people from out of state move in, and one of them is a young family from Pennsylvania that moved out here a couple of years ago, and they just wish they had done it sooner. <laughs> Well, thank you again for taking time out to be on the show. We really appreciate it and uh, for taking the time to teach us about North Dakota dairy. Yeah. We will be back in after just a short break on Cutting the Curd. I remember when I was a little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced to the burning building out of the pavement. And I stood there, shivering in my pajamas and watched the whole world go up in flames and when it was all over I said to myself is that all there is to a fire is that all there is is that all there is if that's all there is my friends then let's keep dancing Break out the booze and have a ball If that's all there is And when I was 12 years old, my daddy took me to the circus The greatest show on earth There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And as I sat there watching, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but... And we are back after a wonderful song from Peggy Lee, <laughs> apparently a North Dakota native, <laughs> on Cutting the Curd. Um, so we are doing the State of Cheese in North Dakota yes. today. And uh, our second guest this afternoon is J.W. Schroeder, who is a dairy specialist for the North Dakota State University Extension Service. Uh, J.W., are you with us? Yes, good afternoon. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Um, so we uh, um, we talked a lot with uh, Gary Hoffman about sort of uh, what North Dakota is doing to preserve and build its dairy industry. Um, and so I was wondering if you could start off by talking a little bit about uh, what the Extension Service does. Um, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. <laughs> 
Well, if you're not familiar with the land-grant university system that was put in place, uh, uh, unlike many of the universities out there, the land-grant system, which there's one in every, at least one in every state, there are additional ones, but they have not only the teaching and research responsibilities, but the extension service, the extending the university to to, uh, those that are not necessarily on campus for a formal education. As you can imagine, that's rooted in deep in uh, tradition, and of course, with the introduction of of high speed transportation and internet and the, and the superhighway, those things all uh, change uh, the availability of university uh, to to the to the public. But yet, we still play a very important role in in helping take that research information and apply it. And not just in agriculture, but in in in, uh, in manufacturing and other areas. But of course, when you get out here in North Dakota, the number one industry, even the, despite everything you've heard about oil and gas production, which is is big and booming in in the western part of the state, ag is still the number one uh, income generating machine for uh, for North Dakota. Yeah, that's really amazing. And and Gary had mentioned in the first part of our show that um, North Dakota is actually in the black, um, and largely due to its agricultural production, which is pretty uh, impressive. (laughs) That is an oddity today. And yes, uh, of course, the oil activities help. That farming has been good in recent years. And and, uh, for portions of the livestock industry, they're doing well as, as well. But I think you can also contribute to our somewhat conservative nature to begin with and have uh, as a whole, our general European heritage and saving up for a rainy day and may have been seen at one time as not being as aggressive as others were. But uh, as you can see right now, that's paid off dividends. Absolutely. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the research that goes on at North Dakota State um, regarding dairy. What are you guys really yeah. focusing on? Well, I have to be the first to admit that we aren't known as a dairy state. Uh, you're not going to find us in the top 22 dairy states in there because uh, out here in the northern Great Plains, it's big into farm farmland. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's tillable. And so when you look at the gross cash receipts that come from agriculture, about two-thirds of it comes from uh, crops and the agronomic aspect and about a third from livestock. And most of our livestock is either made up of uh, beef, cow, calf operations, then dairy, then some sheep, and, and then swine. So we have a little bit of everything, but on a grander scale, you just go east into Minnesota, and dairy is their number one livestock enterprise. But out here, it, it tends to be more cow-calf. So as you can imagine, the resources that are available for, say, exclusively dairy research are not going to be as proportionally as, as great as, as in there. So uh, my, my counterparts, uh, we have uh, an extension specialist in beef, one in dairy, one in sheep, and one in swine, and but uh, and we each have areas of, of our responsibility. As extension specialists, we are educators, we do a lot of informal education and application of research into the, uh, out to our, to our audiences, and my audience, of course, is the dairy producers of North Dakota, and there's not as many dairy producers as there are some of the others, uh, beef producers, as I mentioned. So then we we try to find a niche, a special niche where we can do our research because I have a very limited program, rather austere budget, and I you can only do so much with that. And and so uh, we, at least my interest has been mostly in nutrition, which is my my background, as well as some novel heifer and uh, heifer rearing uh, rearing projects. 
So I think of your question, what kind of research are we doing? We generally, uh, in our department of, of animal sciences, uh, we do a lot in nutrition, ruminant nutrition, as well as non-ruminant nutrition. And then uh, uh, we have a, a large segment here that does a lot of work in, in reproduction. So uh, you can kind of pick and choose, uh, <laughs> and depending on where, what your resources are available. And for me, I rely on funding of those resources from uh, commodity groups, and they typically aren't big-dollar projects as compared to a, a National Health Institute or a USDA grant, uh, although there are several in the department. I don't have to be part of one right now, but uh, I find that with my limited resources, I need to partner up with with others, and our, our administration encourages us to do that. So we have a group uh, we call the I-29 Dairy Consortium, which is North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, and Minnesota. And it's our extension dairy specialists that are working across lines to collaborate on, on various projects, both in education and we're working toward some research, but, but mostly in the education uh, dairies, whether that be for small or mainstream dairies or for large-scale dairy operations. Wow. And so how do you share that information um, with, you know, your constituents? Um, do you do a lot of uh, workshops at uh, the university where people will come and spend a day doing a workshop, or is it more webinar-based, as you were mentioning before? Um, yeah, what's the format usually like for your for your educational programs? Well, the format, well, I've... I've started year 37 in the extension service this year. So wow, congratulations. I've seen, I've seen quite a transition over time. And yeah, now we're doing the Facebook and the Twitter and some of those, although that, that tends to be more uh, what I call entertainment and more personal based <laughs> than it is a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, hardcore fact. Because what really has changed information delivery for me over my tenure has been the internet. I, mm-hmm. I remember when our first computer was brought into the office, and that was long before this new fangled inter, in, super information highway of Internet came about. So, so much is available out there now that we have to look at more novel ways of doing things. And, and, the, and the technology that's changing it all, again, is going to be the smartphone, where yeah. producers who used to have to call in the morning before they went out to feel like, remember, have... Producers call me at, at 6 in the morning before they went out because that was the only time they were going to catch me. Uh, now they can call any time of day or night if, if, there's, if they need something and think that I can help. Uh, and you have to re- realize that the university doesn't do it all either. Uh, private companies have highly invested in whether it's uh, pharmaceuticals or feed companies. They're all uh, <clears throat> trying to help the, the producer do the best because if they survive, then than we both do. So I find that I collaborate a lot with uh, other entities, other businesses, uh, whether it be a feed company or the, the local creamery. Uh, we're, not, we're in this together. We want our audience to succeed, and we don't all have, none of us have unlimited resources, so we try to, to create synergies by working together on that. And yet I still do, to answer your form, uh, original question, is I still do a quarterly uh, newsletter. Uh, the newsletter is still a great way to get stuff out. And now a lot of them get it electronically instead of in the mail. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it's still a newsletter. Or they go online and I have a website and they go online and read some things there. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it's all about what's the most effective way to deliver information. And, and keep in mind, my audience ranges in age from the very young to the 
well, past retirement age. And as you can imagine, somebody that's in their 60s uh, are not necessarily uh, early adapters of some of this newfangled technology, and they still like to get their information the the old way, if you will. Right. That's not a bad way because, you know, we look at our own kids and they can text each other, but they don't want to pick up the phone and answer. And, and, and uh, people from my generation would rather hear your voice and do what we're doing right now. Yeah, talking, and just get the answer to their question. Even can, <laughs> yeah, even though we can't see each other. So we do, web, we do webcasts, we uh, do electronic distribution of, of information. And now, and oh, can I, can I interrupt TV. just... Oh, and radio and TV as well? Okay, cool. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could give us an example of some of the things that you have focused on in terms of what's the actual subject matter of yeah. some of your more uh, successful programs. Well, I uh, uh, successful programs. I, I guess one that immediately comes to mind is a dairy diagnostic program that I had. And, and that was with a facilitator, we would help farmers, uh, the whole farm family, if you will, not just uh, the traditional husband or wife or person that operates that operation, because everybody on a dairy farm is is usually gainfully employed in it, and help them set up their own, what we call the de facto board of directors, working with your service providers. And we started that with, uh, what what is your goal? If your goal is to increase milk quality or increase production, we built a team of service providers, not paying them to be there, because if you're selling feed to this dairy, you want that dairy there next year to sell feed to. And so by serving as like a board of director, uh, along with the veterinarian and the nutritionist, helping that farm improve their productivity, improve their efficiency. So that's an... And we have high impact dollar and cents evidence to show that we were able to make a, make make good progress in that. That's great. That's so you would have like a you'd have kind of like a one on one meeting with the family then and really focus oh, and yes, bring in. Yes, wanted more of a feel of it. What we try to do is meet once a month for one hour, one hour to one hour and a half. The the team would get together, look at uh, the goals, the progress that was made, make a report, and then you'd find that the people that worked on this team help keep each other accountable. If the banker is going to come back next week with a uh, financial statement and, and related to an expansion project, uh, everybody's going to be looking for that result. And so it, it really helped build strong relationships and, and teach communication skills and, and help hold people accountable to, uh, uh, to, the, to the business. We treated it like a business, and uh, uh, so I, I think that had... That sounds great. I think what you said, you know, relationships and communication, yeah. that's the most important part of running any successful business. And, Correct. you know, for dairy farmers who are, or any kind of farmers who are super, super busy from the time they wake up in the morning till the time they go to bed at night to be able to have somebody else organize that kind of a meeting and bringing in all those experts, that's pretty um, invaluable. Um, well, it, unfortunately, time always goes by too quickly. Yeah. We are out of time, but um, I really would love um, for people to be able to know about your website. So if they can, uh, if they have questions or uh, want to read your newsletter, they know where to find you. Sure, and if you just if you just use uh, the Google search engine and look for NDSU Dairy, that's for North Dakota State University, it'll point you to it. The name is a little bit. Uh, long to, to spell out, but I know that if you search by that, you'll find it very easily rather than the, the rather long name that, that my site has. Uh, so right. It's uh, easy enough to find, and, and uh, 
nice to have uh, people stop by and take a look. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for taking time out to be on the show. Really was a pleasure talking with you. And uh, have a great week. Well, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Stay with us uh, or come back next week, I should say, for another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I don't know enough about you. Just when I think you're mine, you try different lines. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from Food Karma. To kick off the New York City Meat Week in style, Meat with a Twist will bring together the best chefs and mixologists for a cocktail food pairing party on November 7th from 6 to 10 p.m. at City Winery. Meat with a Twist features 10 cocktails paired with 10 chef selections highlighting local, sustainably grown meats such as duck, lamb, chicken, pork, beef, bison, and ostrich. The party will launch a week's worth of events throughout the city that celebrate the slow food movement bringing sustainable meats to our tables. Again, that's November 7th from 6 to 10 p.m. at City Winery. Updates, tickets, and more information are available at meatweeknyc.com.